June the 10th, uh, 2012, lecture discussion number 69 and 7 eighths. And now yeah, that's absolutely the case. You can tell what I'm doing. I'm, I'm stalling. I'm not even trying to be subtle about it. I'm being as obvious as I can. I'm trying to slow down to a crawl. Um, and next week could easily be lecture discussion number 69 and 61 64th. Whatever it takes to keep me from getting to 70, I'm going to do it. Uh, I, I mentioned to the folks here, and I'm saying this for the Internet people, and thank you all uh, for everything you're sent, sending me. It's amazing what you do, and I'm very grateful. And you'll notice I haven't been returning your phone calls, and it's because I have worked uh, 37 out of the last 38 days, and, um, and it uh, has taken quite the toll. Um, Jane and, and Bill make me carry the scaffolding around the building by myself. And that's not totally true, but I wanted to put it on the Internet if I could. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm 35 feet in the air putting on siding, and uh, it's, uh, it takes a physical toll on us. And um, that's why I'm not spending much time taking care of uh, and returning phone calls or messages. Yes, Felicia. Yes, I know, and, and Felicia is pointing out that, that Bill is out with Mark and Troy working. And that's, uh, that, it just, I am not able to do it like, uh, like I used to, for obvious reasons. But anyway, that's what's going on. And, um, and Lori is gone, so, uh, that makes everything all the more difficult. She's stuck behind the, uh, mudslide at Watson Lake, so she's probably a week away of coming here. She's spending the, for those of you who follow us, uh, the friends and family, um, she's sleeping with a 130-pound German shepherd and her sister, and I'm not sure which one she prefers. Uh, 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 we'll find out if they finally arrive. Yes, I wanted to put that on the Internet, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, she does listen. Every Sunday morning, she sits down at her, at her uh, uh, little office area there in the house, and she listens to the previous Sunday. So I thought I'd, I'd test and see whether or not she's really listening. Okay, where we left off on Sunday, June the 3rd, lecture number 69 and three quarters, was an in-depth uh, analysis, or not in-depth, that's not right, I just kind of blew through Matthew 19, um, and, and ending pretty much at 19.11, Matthew 19.11, which was this. But he, now he is God himself. So God himself is saying this. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying. This saying. All cannot accept this saying. But only those to whom it has been given. So I have this wonderful Sentence there, given by who? God said it. All cannot accept this saying, but those, but only those. So immediately, two incredible questions come off the books here for you, right off the bat. Let me repeat it. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. So whatever the saying is, there's only those that can accept it. It's a very difficult saying, and it has to be given to the only those. 
And of course, the most obvious of the obvious questions becomes uh, immediately comes flying out at us. Which saying is he referencing? What is this saying? Who are the those to whom it has been given, or the only, the only those? And how can you solve Matthew 19, what comes next, until you have figured those two things out? And I submit that you cannot solve it. You can't move at all. You're stuck right here. You go forward uh, and you're without understanding what these two issues are, and, and you're, you're fraught with danger, and chances are you're not going to get any progress here at all, especially in light of the great mystery that comes next. That's verse 12, which is, as you know, and I'll read it into the record here for all that are listening by Internet. For there are eunuchs. How are you going to solve what the eunuchs issue is in Matthew 19.12 if you don't know what the saying is and you don't know who the only those to whom it has been given? For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept, let him accept. So here we have even more problems. Uh, right after... I'm going to get rid of Hebrews 6.4, which is the, pro, uh, the impossibles. That comes up in a minute. Also notice here, I made this little equation for you. Deuteronomy 24 equals Matthew 19 equals James 2 equals Romans 4, for those who are keeping score. Anyway, I have, I have an acceptance problem. I have to accept the saying. I have only those who have been given the saying. Uh, which saying it is it? And then I have three kinds of eunuchs. I have uh, eunuchs who are born eunuchs. I have eunuchs that are made by men. And then I have eunuchs. who become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. What's the immediate problem when I write kingdom of heaven down? I got a problem right off the bat. What is it? Uh, which kingdom? Yeah. I have five of them. Which kingdom is he talking about here? Now again, Jesus Christ, Creator God, the Lord God Almighty, the Ancient of Days, the I Am, He chooses to say this. He chooses to use eunuchs, three distinct types of eunuchs, to explain the this same. Let me uh, open it up and I'll uh, show you how I come to that conclusion. I know I'm not uh, making the argument um, uh, or giving you the other options so much. I'm just pretty much blasting away so that I can get through it and, and get into Romans 5 at some time here in the near future. Um, but here it is. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only to those to whom it has been given for, there are eunuchs. And that for is the same as what word? What could I say instead of for? For there are eunuchs. Give me another word. Because. Because there are eunuchs. So obviously the this saying, and the only those in the given and the acceptance is because there are eunuchs. 
Well, that's what he's telling you. All cannot accept this saying because there are eunuchs. Now it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We're done. Let's move on. And there's three kinds of eunuchs. Piece of cake, right? Actually, piece of pie, easiest cake. For there are eunuchs is equivalent to because there are eunuchs. So again, to correct, you could correctly phrase the issue thusly. All cannot accept this saying because there are three kinds of eunuchs. The saying cannot be accepted by all who heard it because there are eunuchs, three kinds of eunuchs. He who is able to accept, let him accept because there are three kinds of eunuchs. Who is able to accept this saying is the question. Whatever the saying is. And remember from last Sunday, here's our choices. Remember? I got verses 19.4, uh, I'm sorry, 19.4 and 5, 19.6, 19.8, 19.9, and some would say verse 12. Why does God, and those are your only choices to figure out what the saying is. So make that clear. Why does God say this, this statement in verse 11? Why does he choose eunuchs? What does it mean? How complex do you think it is? How easy is this going to be for you to figure out? That's the easiest one, isn't it? The eunuchs question of Matthew 19 is, is extraordinary. It's, it's very, very complex. Uh, the meaning of the three kinds of eunuchs, um, I have probably worked on it. Not just, you know, have, have thought about it and considered it. I, I can't even begin to tell you. And I've changed my position a couple of times because I found flaws with it. Okay, somebody else found flaws with it that I read and annihilated my position. So I had to start over again. And that has really helped me starting over again. But I will tell you, trying to figure out the meanings of the three kinds. Who says there's three kinds of eunuchs? That's God doing that. How difficult of a symbol do you think it is? And she's perfect, or he's perfectly able to stay. He's, I don't blame him for being upset over the eunuchs. There. He's saying, hey, this is tough. I don't want to deal with it. But I began this mystery last week, and it is legitimately a mystery. Um, Jesus Christ, God knows who these three eunuchs are. I said that last week because there's a literal aspect into it. Why do I say he knows who these, these guys are? Because I can look at everything else he says, and there's always a literal aspect. There really was a Lazarus. There really was a rich Pharisee. There really is certain... When he tells things, they're, they're true. Now, some of them are parables, but there's also elements of that being literal. Plus... So Christ is consistently literal. How can he be so literal all the time? Well, he's God. He knows. He doesn't make things up. He isn't your typical chicken soup pastor. He actually has meaning behind what he's saying. Uh, obviously, he's God. And plus, we should always begin. So to start out with knowing that this is a literal aspect as well as symbolic, but we should always begin with something that's key to understanding these things. How do I approach trying to figure out the eunuch symbol? How do I do it? What do I do first? What do I do first? First thing I should do. Got to figure out the eunuch symbol. What do I do? What's that? 
First mention is a very good idea. Why would I go look for the first mention? What's my reason for doing it? I'm going to help you. John 5.39, what do I got to do? I got to search the Scriptures and find who? Christ. So the eunuch symbol, I have to find Christ in the eunuch symbol. And that's where Felicia is correct. I go back to the first mention, where is it going to be? In the Old Testament. And what's in the Old Testament? What's the purpose of the Old Testament? What does the Old Testament do, John 5.39? It testifies of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I have to do is find Christ. Christ is going to be in this symbol. And ask this question. Are eunuchs portraits of Christ? What do you think? And if so, how? Find Christ in his examples. Find him in his parables. Find him in his literal stories. We must do that. We're commanded to do that. Always look for him first because he always reveals himself. So, you have a literal, you have a typological. Actually, you have the, the typological first, the literal, and then you have what else? Ourselves. Find ourselves. It's applicational. Typological or prophetical, if you will. Literal and applicational. Okay? So, now, let's keep going. It goes to Exodus 20. Yeah, absolutely it does. And Exodus 20 sets the table for Exodus 21. In fact, if you look at the very back of the lecture today, you will see on the bottom of it is next week Exodus 21. Or Exodus 20, sorry. So that's where it goes. It's absolutely correct. That's how it all fits together, I hope for you. But I want you now to start thinking this way. Why is there three kinds of units? Why not why not seven kinds of units? Why not five kinds of units? Why not 10? Why 3? You see, 3 has to have significance. This is God doing this. He picks 3. Why does he pick 3? There's a reason for picking 3. He's God. Where in the Old Testament are there three kinds of anything? Okay. Yeah, I have I have three positions. Absolutely correct of God of Christ's of uh, uh, redemptive work. He's the prophet, right? He's the high priest, and he's the coming king, as Dave just said. I have all of these aspects that are threes. Can I expect them to connect to the three? Unix, I have the word here, connectability. Is connectability a word? Okay. If it isn't, I want it to be. There's relationships. There's going to be. So we go to the Old Testament looking for threes and looking for eunuchs. So where in the Old Testament are there eunuchs? Where in the Old Testament are there groupings of threes? And do those grouping of threes have this relationship? Born made by men and for the kingdom. Can I find anything like that? And then where in the New Testament are there eunuchs? Are there eunuchs in the New Testament? Oh, yes, there is. A powerful picture in the New Testament. So again, let's cover the context. What's the context? How did we get Matthew 19? What's the context? Salvation. Matthew 19 is about salvation and free will. It has a marriage, Deuteronomy 24, uh, background, if you will, uh, which, of course, 
Anything with marriage is also salvation. It has a law, grace, because of marriage and because of the hard saying. So we have the hard saying that no one will accept law, grace, marriage slash salvation, salvation itself and free will. And it's hard to accept the saying. Think about that for a minute. Hard to accept the saying. Mankind rejects the saying. Whatever the saying is, it's hard to accept it. And mankind rejects it. Mankind won't accept the saying. The saying is true. It's the truth. But all cannot accept the truth. So what's the obvious question? Why not? Why can't they accept the true saying? What stops them from accepting the true saying? The true, is, the true saying, the truth is given to them. They reject it. They won't accept it. Who am I talking about? What stops them from doing it? Where else in Scripture does this happen? What else is hard to accept? What else is hard to accept in Scripture? Well, I'll tell you, we just covered it. The impossibles. The impossibles of Hebrews 6.4. Hard to accept. What are the impossibles of Hebrews 6.4? It's impossible for you to lose your salvation. It's impossible for you to save yourself. Those are hard sayings. People won't accept it. Is that what's going on here? How does that, by the way, fit with Romans 4, for those of you who keep track? Okay, we should start then by collecting the eunuchs. That's probably the best way. Uh, most people do that, and Felicia's correct. That's going to find Christ if I do that, and trying to glean all that we can in order to understand why God himself placed this eunuch symbol at this exact spot in his word. The right place to put the eunuch uh, mystery is at Matthew 19.12, following the divorce debate with the uh, which really wasn't a debate on divorce at all. It was really an issue of free will and the rejection of Israel by God, whether or not that was justified, whether or not God is, is omniperfect, or whether or not he is pure good. And this is the right place to put these eunuchs, Matthew 19.12. And that's, by the way, why I was so reluctant to even mention the three kinds of eunuchs, because I knew what the consequences would be, or what it should be, now we're into this exhaustive search uh, through the Old Testament, primarily studying every verse that pertains in any way to the Matthew 19.12, three kinds of eunuchs. And that's a valuable thing. It really is, and, and we're going to try to do a little bit of it here. I can't do it justice. I don't want to derail Romans 5 for six months. I can't do that. So I'm just going to fly through this knowing that I shouldn't have got into it in the first place, but I'm here, and so we'll deal with it. Um, but please understand that, once again, this is an extremely shallow approach. Okay, we ended up in Matthew 19 through James 2 because of Romans 4. Remember all of that? There's this misguided belief out there that's very common and preached heavily. It's all over the place that Romans 4 and James 2 are in conflict. And that, of course, is, is uh, I, I don't know what to say, delusional. Um, Arthur Pink or M.R. DeHaan, one of those two, said um, about a specific doctrinal position, he said, uh, they are miserably deluded and it is love to tell them so. 
Well, that's also the case with Romans 4 and James 2. You find somebody that has a view that Romans 4 and James 2 are in conflict. I will show you someone who has not studied Matthew 19 and does not know it connects to James 2 and has no understanding of Romans 4, and they are miserably deluded, and it is love to tell them so. So Matthew 19, though wonderful, is going to cause us to wander quite a ways away from Romans 5. Um, and that's not a good thing really for now, but it is a good thing. And perhaps I can, like I said, uh, lay out enough so that you can all find your way through it as we go along if you're that much interested in it. And I know some of you are. You've come to me and said, I need to understand this. And that's really fantastic. I'll do my best to get you started. So, okay, I'm going to restate, restate how we can begin as clear as I can. Eunuchs are symbols. They're Old Testament symbols. That means they have Christ in them. And they are, so I have a spiritual aspect to it. I have a literal eunuchs. I have absolutely eunuchs that are actually are going to be involved in this discussion that Christ names, if you will. I have groups uh, which can be nations, that can be peoples, it can be the church, it can be Israel. I have individuals and I have Christ himself. So, that's how we start. We know that's all, all on the table. There's three kinds of eunuchs, literal three kinds, and Christ knows them. Uh, of course he knows them. That's a big duh. He's the omniscient God. So we should try to find these eunuchs that he may be referring to. I gave you some examples last week. I told you that one of them might be Daniel, and that's obviously where we were begin. That's the first step. We go to Daniel. Because who do I have in Daniel? Well, I have Daniel. Of course I do. Who else do I have? This is a trick question. Daniel has three friends, doesn't he? Who are the three friends of Daniel? Okay, you're going to say, yell it out so that I can embarrass you. Go ahead. Scream out the three friends of Daniel. Who are they? And that is insulting to them. What did he say? What we all say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that who they are? No. Not who they are. Who are they? They are Hananiah. Right? Hananiah. Spell it right. I have to really be careful here. I forgot the end. They are Mishael. And they are Azariah. That's who they are. What do we call them? In absolute insulting ignorance. What do we call them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why do we do that? We'll talk about that in a second. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah, the Lord is grace. Mishael. Who is like the Lord? Azariah, the Lord is my helper. All of those are princes of Judah, sons of Judah. All were captured, and as was common, and we'll read this in a second, as was required, all were immediately rendered what? Eunuchs. Immediately. Yes, Belshazzar, they called him. Belshazzar. I'll get to that in a second. Didn't say it, pronounce that correctly. I have to look at it as it's written to do it. Let me read this to you. 
Second um, Kings 20, so that you know this is the case. It's very important to know this is the case. Every time I say this to people, they go, wow, I, I, I've never heard that before. Well, that's because um, that, that this will help you solve Matthew 19. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold. So something really important is going to happen next. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Every son of Judah that was carried into Babylon, every prince of Judah was turned into a eunuch. Now, I love Hezekiah's response to this. So Hezekiah said to Israel, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. What? <laughs> for, he, for he said, uh, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Okay. <laughs> going to be fine for me, too bad for you. All of you, eunuchs. But, hey, it's okay for me. I always made me laugh. Anyway, got off the track. All of them were rendered eunuchs to prevent a king of Judah. That's very important, this preventing a king. Preventing the king of... That's why it was done. To prevent the king of Judah. What's the Who's the king of Judah? Yes, that's Christ. That is the Messiah. That's the son of the woman, right? The seed of the woman. So the eunuchs are really preventing the Messiah from coming, right? Isn't that interesting? Consider that for a second. So the source of that. It becomes very important, this attempt to prevent the coming king of Judah. Okay. Anyway, you know the story, as I just said. Their names are changed to Babylonian pagan worship names, which for some reason the church today insists on calling them. I really don't know why, but it's in all of us. It comes from Sunday school, I think. It comes from some song, doesn't it? I think. Veggie Tales? Okay. There, there it is. Okay. Belteshazzar. Uh, it, it, that's Daniel's name, and it means Baal or Baal or Bel protects the king. Who's Baal? Satan. Shadrach was uh, it was uh, Hananiah, and it, his name becomes command of Aku. Aku is a god, a Babylonian god. Meshach. Who is what Aku is? That's what he mean, that means. Abednego, servant of Nego or Nebo, and that's a god of plants. And that's what we call them today. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. How ignorant can that be? It's profoundly ignorant. How can you imagine a church calling these men, and again, their names are fantastic, Right? God is my judge. The Lord is grace. Who is like the Lord? The Lord is my helper. We change it to Aku, Nego, and Baal. How can the church be so ignorant 
that it would take a fantastic word, a fantastic name, a name with great meaning, like, say, Passover, and change it to Ishtar. How could it do it? Does it every day. How disappointed is God in us? Taking away, God is my judge, the Lord is grace. Who is like the Lord? The Lord is my helper. And changing it to Bel protects the king, command of Aku. Who is what Aku is? Aku is a piece of wood. That's who he is. He's a brick. Servant of plants. That's what we do. That's the church. We have been overwhelmed by veggie tales. And it's a, it's a mess. Don't feel bad. Are you alone? No. It's like Easter. If I went to churches today and said, I want you to change the word Easter back to Passover the way it should be, I would meet tremendous resistance. And if I said, I want you to change your Sunday school song from um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would meet tremendous resistance. They will cling to their Babylonian paganism to the death. They like it. They don't care that they're wrong. They love being wrong. That's what we do. That's the condition of the church today. Recognize it. Nothing we're really going to do to change it. God will have to change it. All you need to know for today, though, is that three of the eunuchs were made, three of these eunuchs, these, all these men, all four of them actually, but these three specifically, we're going to address Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were made eunuchs by men, and then what happens to them? What comes next for them? Start out being made eunuchs. That, that's a bad Monday. And then it gets worse. What happens after that? They get their names changed to pagan names. Then they're told to eat absolute garbage. And if they don't eat the garbage, what's going to happen to them? The guy that feeds them is going to get killed. Then eventually they have to worship. And they decide they're not going to do that. And so what happens to them? The three of them, the three eunuchs. I have three eunuchs. Three eunuchs. Let me repeat. How many eunuchs? Three of them. And they're what? They're thrown into a smoking, fiery furnace, see Genesis 15. The smoking furnace is a symbol of judgment. The burning lamp is a symbol of grace and mercy, and they go side by side through the pieces of Genesis 15. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant, right? So three, these three eunuchs, these three kinds of eunuchs, they all have a name. They all have a different name, right? And they're all three eunuchs cast into a smoking furnace of judgment. And and the people that cast them into the smoking fiery furnace, what happened to the people that cast them in? I'm assuming you went to Sunday school and you saw the the movie. The guys that tried to throw them in, the, the furnace was so hot that they couldn't be done. The very act of bringing them to drop them in, to cast them into the furnace, resulted in the consumption, or if you will, the, uh, the consuming by fire of the very men who threw them into the furnace. And they were thrown into the bottom of the furnace. And how did it go? 
So the people who threw them in were killed immediately, but the servants of the Most High God, that is what they are called. Servants, the three eunuchs are called the servants of the Most High God. So far, how good is it to be a eunuch? How's the symbol eunuch going? The servants of the Most High God are unaffected completely by the fire. The fire, it says, was something really wonderful. The fire had no power. And no smell. No power, no smell. They are completely unaffected by the fire of judgment, Daniel 3.27. No power, no smell. And there's a fourth in there with them, isn't there? Somebody goes in there with the three eunuchs, doesn't he? Okay? So we have Christ and three eunuchs in a fire. So right now, I hope you're connecting to Matthew 19 again. Christ talking about three eunuchs. So we have learned something very key now. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah are under the supervision. Oh, I should read that to you just really fast so you see that. They're under the somebody's supervision. Who's in charge of these guys, by the way? Of all the people that can be in charge of these four eunuchs, who is it? It's a eunuch. It's the chief eunuch. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He's the one that named them. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel 1. These three, four men have eunuch everywhere. Daniel 1 is just marinated in eunuch. That's why we start here. So we've learned something. We have these four eunuchs. Three of them are in the fire. They are under the supervision of the chief or the master of the eunuchs, Aspenaz. They are made eunuchs by men. They are saved from the consuming fire by Christ himself. Thus, we must now accumulate all references to fire that has no power to consume, shouldn't we? Where else do I have fire that does not have the power to consume or is not consuming? I have the burning bush, so now I've got to compare this judgment fire to the burning bush. I have a burning bush that isn't consumed. Where else do I go? What's that? Oh, I have, yes, I have what you're saying, the pillar of cloud, right? Okay? Um, I, that, that is a light, but it does some consuming. Yeah, every now and then you get on the wrong side of it and it consumes. So there you know, sometimes it consumes and sometimes it doesn't consume based on what? Based on something. Everyone that threw them in consumed. Not them. No power to consume them, no smell of fire on them. So, I would say to you, look at the lake of fire. The lake of fire torments, but does not consume. Uh, Karina, did James get that right again? Okay. <laughs> I saw the look that she gives James. He will whisper things to her. and uh, so I can tell when James is ahead of me. 
Now, I want you to note, our first stop in the Old Testament results in eunuch references being linked to the fiery furnace of death and salvation. There you go now. You're in Matthew 19, aren't you? And the fourth in the furnace. Christ in the midst of the three eunuchs, which is again Matthew 19. And then we have these eating decisions and worship decisions. We have free will decisions that result in life or death there. And I'm assuming you've read... Uh, Daniel's chapter 1 through 3. But I'm going to read after, uh, Daniel 1, 9 for you so you understand uh, how the eunuch all fits together. It starts this way. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and tender heart of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs begins to love Daniel. Why? What has Daniel done for him? Who is Daniel to him? God does it. What is Daniel doing to the chief of the eunuchs? The chief of the eunuchs begins to love Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why? What's happening? Now we move to 2 Kings uh, 9.30. Let's take a look at that. Because that's where we find Jezebel. So first we have all of that information. So trying to keep all of that information in your head. And now let's go to 9.30. Now, this is the death of the evil Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? She is the symbol for the harlot and the tribulation. The, the, the evil if you will, the most evil religious organization that can be conceived. She is the symbol of it. And she is a killer of God's servants. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. So he's coming to kill her. Okay, she, He has wiped out her uh, military support and he is coming to kill her. And she knows it. And this is what she does. She puts paint on her eyes, adorns her head, and looks through a window. Now, why does she put paint on her? What is she putting on? She's putting on makeup. Why? Because she's disguising herself. She is making herself look what? Beautiful. When in fact she's what? Dark blackness. This is death herself hiding the fact that she is death. Is it working, by the way? How many people is she able to fool? Oh, she fooled a lot, right? But she's not going to fool Jehu. Then as Jehu entered at the gates, is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? She knows why he's there. She is attaching to him Zimri, calling him Zimri. He is a former king that ruled very shortly, dies soon after he becomes king, and she is saying, you also will die soon, and you are a murderer of someone. Who did he murder? Her associates. He's going through killing them all. And he's come to kill her. And he looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? This is the man who is killing painted death. And so, three eunuchs looked down 
at him, looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, go now, see to this accursed, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot that of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel, so they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. So she is destroyed forever. This portrait of great evil, Revelation 2.20, the harlot of Revelation, the most evil uh, uh, religious order of all time. This is one who pursues and slaughters the servants of God. And who killed her? Who killed her? Three eunuchs. Three eunuchs threw her out of her palace window. Three eunuchs answered the question, who is on the side of the Lord? Three eunuchs. Her blood splattered on the horses in the wall. All we find is her skull, her feet, parts of her hand. Ask why that. And in your spare time, go see Goliath. Three eunuchs throw Jezebel to Jehu. Three eunuchs are on the side of the anointed king of Judah. How are the eunuchs doing so far? They're doing pretty good. Yay, eunuchs. We should have a team. Yeah, yeah, we should. The cliffside eunuchs. Yes, we should. We would have the cliffside living dogs, right? It is better to be a living dog than a dead lion. But the eunuchs are on the side of the Lord. The eunuchs are the ones that throw Jezebel to her death. She's dead, by the way, when she hits the ground. She's coming down a long distance, and I think she is forcefully thrown. Three eunuchs answer the question, who is on the side of the king of Judah? Now, Isaiah 56. Probably where we solve the three eunuchs. See, always ask yourself, how much scripture does Christ know when he is saying things like three eunuchs? He's the author of it. So he knows where it all is, doesn't he? 56, uh, let's start at verse, uh, let's just take it. 56.1. Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. Who is his salvation? That's himself. Yeshua, right? And my righteousness to be revealed. Who gets revealed? Christ. Revealed is who? God himself. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. Who's the Sabbath? Christ is the Sabbath. And keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Who's God talking to here? 
Israel. He said, if the foreigner is coming in here, don't separate him out. I want the foreigner. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. In other words, don't separate out the foreigners or the eunuchs. Don't do it. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. When I say the words cut off to you, who do you think of? Daniel 9.26, they shall not be cut off. Daniel 9.26, who gets cut off after 62 weeks? The Messiah shall be cut off. Also, the sons of foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him, and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast My covenants, even them I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar. There's your Exodus 20. And there's your accepted again. This accepted... For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. In other words, what's a eunuch now? He's saved from fire by God himself. He throws Jezebel down. He has a name that is everlasting and he's an outcast, a foreigner, and a stranger. But yet he is given a name forever, an everlasting name. Why? Eunuchs, foreigners, strangers were outcast and separated, dry trees, but they became trusted. Who, what, what was the job of the eunuch? Number one job. What did he do? His job was to take care of who? Number one. He took care of the king's what? Yeah, the king, the brides of the king. So think of it this way. The eunuchs are trusted with the bride of the king. How good are they doing? They're cut off, literally and figuratively by men, by birth, if you will. By who they are. They're cut off. But God accepts them. They are trusted with the bride of the king, and they have a name forever, an everlasting name written in the book of life. Revelation 20.12, Daniel 12.1. They will be accepted on the altar of God. And that's Exodus 20.24-26, through 26, which is next week. Again, how are the eunuchs doing? Yeah, doing good. That's a terrific symbol. Lastly, Acts 8.26, the New Testament picture. 
We have a eunuch that reads Isaiah 53. So here we go. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So what's happened so far? I have Philip, and an angel comes to Philip. How big a deal is this? And he says, I want you to go and meet somebody. I want you to go down on this road, and you're going to find somebody. This is desert. So we're going to the desert. An angel said, go to the desert. So he arose and went. And then this wonderful, wonderful thing. And, what's it say? Behold. And I'm not doing it justice, am I? I should say what? I should be screaming it out as long as I can. And behold, behold a man of Ethiopia. This is an incredible truth coming. An incredible truth. Anything that follows a behold. A man of Ethiopia. A eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. This eunuch who had charge of all her treasury. So I have a eunuch now is in charge of the bride of the king. And I have a eunuch who is in charge of the treasury. Trusted with the treasury. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Stop this eunuch. Why? This is my eunuch. So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone teaches me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. This place in the Scripture which he read was this, Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? In other words, he wanted to know, is Isaiah talking about Isaiah? Or is Isaiah talking about the Messiah? Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, water, what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Son of God means Messiah. God in the flesh. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Do you think the eunuch, the, the, the guy that has control of the treasury, is by himself, by the way? How many people are with him? Hundreds. This is maybe the most powerful man in his particular kingdom. Second only to the queen. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Okay? So there's your last eunuch symbol or 
or example for you. He's cut off, but he's the servant of the king. Okay? These are throwers of Jezebel, trusted with the bride, trusted with the treasury. By the way, see Judas with regard to this treasury thing. Coming to Jerusalem to worship, fulfilling Isaiah 53. Fire has no power, no smell. And now you have the beginning. You have eunuchs that are born. Who are they? They are the foreigners and the strangers, the separated from Israel. We have eunuchs that are made eunuchs. Who are they? Here's four of them right here. Hey, I have eunuchs who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, and we have to figure out what kingdom that is. The eternal kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, the theocratic kingdom, the messianic kingdom, or the mystery kingdom. And that's most of the pieces. I've got to put in the curse of Jeconiah. It has to be factored. Just remember, I have literal eunuchs, I have figurative eunuchs, and I have eunuchs that are types of Christ. Give you a picture of Christ. Let's talk about Christ really fast before I shut it down here. Was he born a stranger, a foreigner, if you will? Was he cut off? Was he rejected by Israel? Did he make himself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom? Made himself human, didn't he, for the sake of who? The kingdom. So you find this incredible type of Christ that develops when you look at this symbol that is Unix. Next week I'll, I'll finish it all off, I hope. And that will be lecture 69 and 59 64. And then we'll get to lecture 70. Let's rise and meet it.